I'm, I'm excited that we get to come together and celebrate um, God and what He has done for us. And so I hope you'll just um, take the opportunity to worship Him with all that you are this morning. Um, we're going to pray in just a moment. I want to remind you just of a couple of things. You know, Judgment House is coming up very shortly, and um, a lot of those things going on. So check that out. There's a, a registration for that. But I think we're having a test drive through on the Sunday before, Sunday evening before, for church members. So um, you can kind of mark that on your calendar. And then um, you'll see over to my right, your left, three big boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And uh, what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and fill those up and go overflow them. Uh, there's also some other things over there that will get put into the group that does the best. So encourage you to bring things now for the next few weeks and fill those boxes. There's a box for children, um, a box for our youth, and a box for our adult ministry. So um, fill those boxes up over the next couple of weeks. And then you saw the email about mums that will help support that as well. Um, sent out last night. Um, I need you to do me a favor, because this is what I heard after first service. Um, I was told that my pants on the video are purple. So this is what I need you to do. I need you, on the count of three, and I'm going to hold this, this microphone now, what I need you to do is I need you to yell, his pants aren't purple. Okay? All right? One, Two, three. His pants are purple. And Wayne helped a lot by saying they are, but um, appreciate that, brother. You are kind of wearing purple. All right. I'm right here for you. Uh, yeah, you're here. Uh, all right. So it, it is good to be here this morning that we get to celebrate together. Um, let's pray. Um, before we do that, just remind you, if you're a guest, there's a Connect card in the pew pew. Um, slot in front of you if you'll fill that out and just take it back to the welcome desk at the end of the service. We've got a gift for you, but we just want to recognize you as our guest this morning and glad that you're here. So let's pray and we'll get started with our worship time. Father, thank you for this morning and for how you bless us, how you take care of us. Father, for your grace and your mercy, for being able to be in Christ. And so, Father, um, as we look at Ephesians this morning, as we sing and, and worship you, Father, we want you to be blessed and honored in this place. And so, Father, we, um, we ask that your spirit would be very present. God, we lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand to sing together this morning. In this opening song, we're going to uh, put music to Scripture. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Let's sing and declare that beautiful truth together. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, Come to the well that never runs dry. Taste of the waters, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. 
God so loved the world that he gave us his own and only son to save us whoever believes in him will live forever bring all your failures bring your addictions come lay them down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting there with open arms. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated now it is well i'm walking in freedom for god so loved god so loved the world praise god praise god for whom all blessings flow praise him praise him for the wonders of his love praise god praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him praise him for the wonders of his love his amazing love for god so loved the world his only son the to save us for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us whoever believes in him will live forever the power of hell forever defeated now it is walking in freedom for God so loved God so loved the world bring all your failures bring your addictions come lay them down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting God so loved the world. Amen. Let's give him a clap of praise this morning. That's beautiful news today, folks. Yes. Philippians chapter 2 says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself in becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day when heaven 
was filled with his praises. One day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The Word became flesh and the light shined among us, His glory revealed. Living, He loved me, dying, He saved me, buried, He carried my sins far away, rising, He justified freely forever. He's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on the tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. The hands that build nations stretched out on a tree, and took the nails for me. Living, He loved me, dying, He saved me. He carried my sins far away, rising He justified freely forever. One day He's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. death he had conquered now is ascended my lord evermore the grave could not hold him the grave could not keep him from rising again living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day, glorious His glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved ones, bring me 
justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day glorious day oh glorious day almighty god we thank you and praise you so much for the promise of an eternity spent with you. And Father, I thank you so much, not just for the hope of that, but Father, for the joy and the hope that we have in this abundant life that you're giving us right now. God, I pray that we will spend every day walking in that abundance, walking in the blessings that you have already given us. And God, help us to just sort of uh, get a bigger picture than maybe what's immediately around us and recognize your glory and your presence in our life. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are with us currently and all times if we're followers of you. So now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you will teach us from your word. Draw our attention and our focus into you. Remove distractions from our hearts and our minds. Change us today, God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, it is good to be back in here today, and, um, and I'm glad that our preschool and children's worship is open. Um, it's the first time it's been open for a while. It's good. Um, I, I kind of passed through some folks, and, and I was told that there's separation anxiety happening this morning. So um, it's life, so it's good, and I'm glad that everybody's in here this morning. Um, yeah, I'm I was brought, this was brought to my attention between services again, not the, not the um, non-purple pants, but the fact that I get to share a stage platform with Will Ferrell. And I thought, I really thought he was taller than this. Um, but it, this right here, over here, represents ministry. We say, oh, well, what do you mean? It, it represents um, what is going to go out. And so, really, Will and I, this morning, are on the same page. And you may not think that. And it's, it's one thing to share a stage with Will Ferrell, especially like this. But it's another thing when you have to share a stage with Jesus. Um, last week, we had homecoming and um, had a great time up at North Campus. Um, we, we had a good crowd come out, and several stayed and ate and fellowshiped and just had, had a great time on the field up there. Um, I'm glad that it wasn't scheduled for this week. Um, it would have been much different. Um, it, although it was a little wet early, it was not like this. And so last week we met up there, and it's, it's interesting how Dr. Chuck, Dr. Chuck Register, kind of led into what we are going to be doing this week. And I did not prompt him or anything, but he talked out of, out of Acts chapter 20 and talked about Paul calling the elders of Ephesus down to Miletus to meet and have a discussion. And, and the way he goes about that is he says, look, this is what I did and this is who I am. And he kind of charges them. And he says, I came to you as a bondservant. Um, I was 
dedicated to sharing the gospel to everyone, both Jews and to Greeks. And he really called them to take a message back to Ephesus that they should be servants of Christ more than anything else. Now, realize that when they go back, they are, they're going back to proclaim that, to tell people, hey, to be servants of Christ, to be connected to him. And, and at the same time, realizing what the city of Ephesus was like. Um, Paul wrote this letter from a Roman jail. He was imprisoned, and it was around 60, 61 A.D., and it's, it's after his trip, after that meeting with the elders, and back to Jerusalem, and he ends up in Rome, but he writes to this group of people in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And they live in a city of about 600,000 people. Um, it is marked by the seventh wonder of the world, the, the Temple of Artemis, or the Temple of Diana. It's a prominent um, fixture within the city. And so when Paul writes what he writes, it is more than just a letter to encourage you to, to do life. It's more than that. It's essentially an attack on what the culture, if you will, on what the culture is about. Because the whole culture was wrapped up around the temple of Artemis and the, that pursuit. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, we read about riots that took place. And when Paul and his friends were sharing the gospel, what took place is that it affected the commerce of the day. Uh, people were upset. And so they got mad at Paul because what, what they were proclaiming was the gospel. And they made this statement in Acts 19.23 and, and following that, that section of Scripture, God's made with hands are no gods at all. And it cut into the, the money. And so Paul, by, just by virtue of sharing the gospel, was, affected, was affecting what was in their back pocket, if you will. And, and they didn't like it, so it created some riots. And then there was a calming down. You know, he's not really stolen from us. There's a proper way to do this. But it, it created a tension within the city. You see, the gospel at its very nature is disruptive. It disrupts everything. When there's a call to repentance... When, when it is called out that sin is wrong and you have to repent from that and turn to God, it is disruptive. It changes life. It changes the way you do life. If the gospel is not disruptive in your life, do you have the gospel? Are you connected to Christ? And that would be a good question to ask. Because the gospel ought to permeate and saturate every single part of our life. And so what Dr. Chuck shared last week was, it's what is true. This is what Paul was sharing, that, that Jesus came and he died. He took on the sins of the world and you are called, invited into a relationship with him. You're invited to turn from doing your own way to turn 180 degrees and go the other way and turn to God. That's what Paul was inviting them to do. And as people responded in Ephesus... It changed the, 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 um, the layout of the city. It changed what was happening there. And, and so Paul wrote to these folks that he knew very well. 
And he encouraged them. He says, this new way to live is going to include two things. It's going to include a spiritual blessing, but it's also going to include spiritual battle. Ephesians 1.3 talks about the spiritual blessing in heavenly places that we have in Christ. And yet we flip over just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 12, and we read about this spiritual battle that takes place to put on the full armor of God, that we may be able to withstand the, the schemes of the devil. So, so Paul is going to share about this spiritual blessing, but also the spiritual battle. And this new way of life cannot be compartmentalized. It essentially permeates, saturates every single thing. So if we realize we are in Christ, and we're going to be in a battle, we have to see if our spiritual life, our connection with God, is involved or part of everything that's in our life. So the question for us this morning, am I all in? Am I all in? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So we, we see God's purpose in this, that he called Paul to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So he's writing to believers. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So first thing we know that Paul writes to saints at Ephesus, and he says, you've been faithful. It appears as if you've trusted Christ, and you're trying to live out this, this life in Christ, and you are blessed. And he uses that word blessed in this particular place. It's the word eulogio, or uh, eulogy is where we get that. It's a, a spoken blessing, or to speak well of. But Paul says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Well, what does it mean to be blessed with spiritual things? Spiritual things are different from physical things. And we can be blessed physically. Certainly that's true. But that's not the only thing that we are blessed with. See, you cannot measure God's reward system by physical blessing. I mean, you may be blessed physically with, with finances or with a job or all these different things. You may be blessed with that, but that's not an indication of God's favor. Those are separate things. Because if you, if you kind of scan all of Scripture, you realize that people that were following God with all their heart, they were exactly where God wanted them to be, were sometimes in the worst places uh, under the worst conditions. Paul is writing this from prison. He understands that. Think about Daniel. Think about Elijah. All these different characters in Scripture. And we would say, you know, Jeremiah the prophet. All these people in Scripture, you would say, they are blessed of God, and yet they undergo tremendous persecution and attack. And so spiritual blessing is different from physical blessing. Spiritual blessing has an element that is eternal. And we talk about a spiritual blessing, we're talking about something that goes beyond the physical life in which we live right now. It goes into 
the things that are heavenly, what God has blessed us beyond this, this life here on earth. And when we wrap up all our, all our evaluation of blessing by our physical blessing, and we say, where's God? We miss out on what Paul is talking about to the Ephesian church. Because, remember, they were, in some ways, the center of attention apart from Artemis, as being against the God that was the primary being of the city. So they are spirit, we are spiritually blessed. There's an eternal element to this, and the source of that is God. We're going to walk through these, these, this passage, and what I want you to do, if you're, if you're into writing in your Bible, I want you to do something. Um, everywhere you see the, the phrase, in him, I want you to circle or underline that. Because that's going to be key, because what Paul is setting up for us is this idea that as we are in Christ, that we live a new life, a life that is different. And it ought to change the way that the world looks at us. So let's, let's start reading verse 4. Verse 4 says, even as he, so we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now that's a, there's a lot in there, and you're going to, you're going to figure out as we walk through Ephesians 1 that there's way more than we can, that we can tackle in, in 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, there's a ton in here, but we're going to kind of scan through this. And the first thing I want us to see is that we are chosen in Him. Chosen in Him. And this, this is the passage that's often used to talk about predestination. And we can get wrapped up in, in that concept, um, but... But when we start thinking that God chooses, now, and I need you to listen very closely, we think that God chooses people to go to heaven and people to go to hell. We've missed the idea that God's invitation is for everyone. So the invitation is there for everyone. And that does not mean that everyone will respond. Um, maybe an easy way, and it's probably too simple an illustration, but if I were to call five people up here on the platform, and let's say Mike was, was the other team captain, and, and we're going to choose sides. And so, so I, choose, I choose Vaughn, and, and you choose Wayne, and I choose Jeremiah, and you choose Caleb, and we go through this thing, and somewhere along the way, we make a statement. We choose this person, and they say, nope. You never have that happen when you're choosing teams to play some game. But if they just said, nope, it's like, well, you can't do that. you got to be on this. you got to be on a team. Nope, ain't doing it. That's the idea of God offering an invitation to come be part of his family and rejection taking place. You see, anybody can come to know Christ, but not everybody will. We are chosen in Him before the foundation of the world means that God offers that invitation to anyone who would believe. It, there's a response that's required on our part. 
And the, the goal of this is that we would be found holy, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, I've always read that in this way, that when I come to Christ, my life ought to be holy and blameless, and I should mature in my life, and so I can present myself holy and blameless before him. So, so coming into alignment with his word. And, I, and hear this, we are supposed to come into alignment with his word. We're supposed to be maturing in Christ. We're supposed to be growing in Christ. When we don't, there's, a, there's an issue in the relationship. But this right here is not that. Look, look what it says. It says that we be presented as holy and blameless before Him. It is something that occurs when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. We are bestowed the righteousness of Christ before a holy God. We get that. And so we become holy and blameless on the front end before a holy Father and at the same time are working out what it means to live for Christ in the here and now. So this presentation of holy and blameless, is that has already taken place for us before the Father when we accept Christ as Savior. So we've been chosen to be presented holy and blameless, and it's our responsibility or up to us to respond to that invitation. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. It is about what we do with Jesus Christ that makes the difference. We can accept him or reject him, but we do not earn our own way as holy and blameless before the Father. In fact, we're naturally bent to move away from God. It's where we start. Dr. Chuck explained it this way, that we're going down life's road seeking our own benefit and going this way, and when we hear the gospel convicted by the Holy Spirit, we turn 180 degrees and turn from doing our own thing and turn toward God. That's repentance. And we're called to repentance as part of that being brought in as an adopted member of Christ's family. So we are chosen in Him. Secondly, we are redeemed in Him. In Him, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So in Him we have redemption. So we're redeemed. What does redeemed mean? It means that we've been bought. There was a price that was paid. It needed to be paid for us to have a relationship with, with God. It was the price of Christ's blood on Calvary that was shed on our behalf. And apart from that, we're lost and destined for hell. But God has lavished. He's poured on us his blessing so that we could have relationship with him, be brought into his family. That word lavished, um, the, the easiest way to explain that is if I were to take a, a cup and set it here and take a pitcher of water and just begin to pour and, and keep pouring and pay no attention to where the rim of the glass is, but keep pouring. That's what it means to have it lavished on us. It's to pour beyond the, the measurable limits of whatever it is. 
And God has poured on us or lavished on us His grace and His mercy. And, and we, could, we could blow that off, but that's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to value that. That's why Paul encourages them. He says he's lavished that upon us in all wisdom and insight. It, it's for us to understand that God loved us beyond what our own capabilities were. God loved us beyond what our own sin had done for us. And that He gave His only Son on our behalf. So in Him, we've been chosen. We've been redeemed. Thirdly, we've been united. Verse 9. It says, Making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. This idea of being united in Him is, is a, um, an interesting thing to, to study because it's according to His purpose that He's bringing these things together. It's a mystery that, that this grace and mercy that Jesus offered from the cross of Calvary applies to us some 2,000 years later. And yet, according to His purpose, He set forth in Christ that things be united, things in heaven and on earth. Then, now, does that phrase remind you of another phrase in Scripture? Think back to how Jesus taught His disciples to pray. What did He teach them? He said, as it, on earth, as it is, where? In heaven. To, to bring those into agreement. It's the idea that things here, if we pray for God's will to be done, that things here would match up with the way they are done in heaven or according to the character and the will of the Father. And so we would say, we want the things here to match up with the will of God. Yet we look around us and we see everything but the will of God. What Paul is encouraging them to realize is that in this overall plan of uniting together in Christ, that he is accomplishing that putting together peace. So united in him, it's full recognition and understanding of God's character and will in both places. Verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The fourth thing is that we are sealed in Him. There's two parts to this. We are sealed for an inheritance. What's an inheritance? It's an unearned benefit that you receive. When my dad passed away about five years ago, I received, my brother and I both received an inheritance. Now we, we weren't really aware of all that, that included, but we received an inheritance, and neither one of us earned it. Now, I didn't go to my dad and say, if I rake leaves for you this fall, you will give me. And that's not how it worked. Just by 
very, the very nature of a relationship with my own dad, I received an inheritance when he passed away. And so I got that. And so we, in this case, we're sealed for an inheritance. It's something that is future that we receive, that we can look forward to, and we actually get to know what is included in that inheritance. Second thing, we're not just sealed for an inheritance, but we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's our guarantee. He's the, the guardianship, if you will, of our salvation and our life in Christ. It's, a, it's something that was placed in us, and, and it brings not just comfort, but it brings security. You know, security is a, is a big deal. We can think about security of this building. Now, we think about security in the preschool area. Several of you have dropped off preschoolers this morning, and you're trusting that that area is secure. You're trusting that there are adults back there watching your children and that they're not running away. Now, just for your own comfort level this morning, I'll make this statement. I've seen out that window, and I've seen out this window, and, um, and when there's movement outside, I pick it up just by standing up here. But I've not seen any preschoolers run around. Yeah, hallelujah. You got, that's right. So, so security of that preschool is a big deal. Same with the children's area. Security is a big deal. When Deb and I moved to New Orleans, Stephen was just a little over a year old. And we went searching for a church. We knew it was long, but we went searching for a church, and, and we went to um, a church downtown New Orleans. And we weren't super familiar with New Orleans, but we knew enough about New Orleans that we thought we need to find someplace secure. And that was confirmed when we were pulling into that area. What we saw is we saw a car pull in. There was a, most of an empty spot there. And what they did is they hit the front car, and then they hit the back one, then they hit the front one until they got their car in between. And I thought, okay, if that's the way this is going to work, we better look for a really secure preschool. And so we found it. We, we ended up at that church, and we realized that we could not even get our own son back without the right credentials. Security was a big deal. And when we are secure in the Holy Spirit, if our salvation is secure in Him, it is the very best place it could possibly be. He is the guarantee of our salvation. And no, nothing is strong enough to pull us out of that relationship with God by the adoption through Christ. I was watching a, um, a video recently that was sent to me. Um, the purpose of it wasn't what I'm going to share with you. It was something different, but it did bring to light a particular issue. Um, as this church leader was sharing, um, she made this statement. She goes, I know I'm a Christian, but I know that there are many ways to God. And I thought, oh. There is not but one way to God. The, the path to know God is exclusive. It's only through Jesus Christ. So if we're going to talk about being chosen in Him, redeemed in Him, united in Him, and sealed in Him, it is through a relationship with Jesus Christ that those things are accomplished. It does not happen any other way. 
And I felt sorry for, for this lady as she was sharing because what she did is she, she opened up this, this, um, this idea that I can do whatever I want. And what Paul shares in Ephesians, he's saying, yeah, there's a temple of Artemis over there, but gods made with hands are no gods at all. And you can't trust that God. But you can trust the God of Scripture and place your faith in Him and be in Him moving forward. So our position before God is predicated on our relationship with Him. So we can ask the question, am I all in? Because there are benefits to coming to be, being in Christ. Obviously, we are chosen in Him, redeemed in Him, united and sealed through Christ, but there's something else that Paul wanted the Ephesian church to know. Starting in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. So here's, the, here's part of that spiritual blessing. May give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the workings of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What's Paul's... What's Paul's thing here? What's he trying to share? What is his goal? Is that we would understand about God in Christ. That we'd be blessed with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to, to understand what might be perceived as the myst- a mystery to some would be revealed to us that we would understand all that's wrapped up in Christ. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. That's a really strange phrase when you, when you think about it. But when you understand that that is the, the seat of the emotion, the seat of being, to have that part enlightened is different than coming to a strict knowledge of who Christ is. You can have lots of head knowledge and be 18 inches apart from salvation. It is about the heart. There have been a lot of people except Christ in their head that have never received Him in their heart. It may be that, that percentage of the church that Billy Graham talked about, that, that portion of the church that was never saved to begin with. That they were faced with a choice to accept Christ and they wanted to buy some fire insurance by giving their life to Christ and never really accepted Christ as a heart movement. They only accepted Him as a head movement. to understand who we are in Christ, to understand about God, and that this God of Scripture is different from the the God of Artemis, Diana. It's also to help us understand the hope, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. You People without hope are desperate. People that have no hope, there's no real good reason to move another step forward. Yet we can have hope in Christ. There's all kinds of hope wrapped up in the gospel when we trust Him with our lives. 
And if we based it on just circumstances, yeah, we could be depressed and, and under a table, curled up in a fetal position. But when we have Christ, Christ gives us hope for the days that are ahead. Not just, not just two days ahead, five days ahead, but even for all of eternity. So we learn about hope. We understand about hope to which He has called you. And then what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? This idea of riches, how do you measure it? We could measure riches by what's in a wallet or a home or a job or things like that, but that's not what Paul is sharing with them. Because he really never considers the physical blessing as, as part of this equation. What he's talking about, the riches, he's talking about things that are a little bit more intangible. It's, it's the relationships that you have in church that are, that are hard to put a number on but they're of great value. Just the ability for us to come together and worship together as a church family is part of the riches that we have in the saints. And then verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward those, toward us who believe? And notice the description of that. It has to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know that there's any greater power that we can even reference than the one who was crucified on the cross of Calvary being put in a tomb and coming to life again to to be our living Lord and Savior. To understand the power that is in Him to go from death to life. It's a present and a future authority that belongs only to Christ. So what are we supposed to do? As Paul lays this out and begins setting up the framework for the rest of his letter to the Ephesian church, there's some things that that we can identify or see. And it's the first thing is our identity in Christ is new. We're being a new creature in Christ. As we are chosen, redeemed, united, and, and sealed, we become new and we are given a new way of living. Third thing is that we are connected to others in a different way than we ever were before. I know you don't know Jorio, but Jorio is a guy who lives in Terracina, Brazil. And, um, and I got to go visit there. And one of the things I realized is Jorio and I can speak English together, but his, his primary language is Portuguese. And, but when I got off the plane in Terracina, the one thing that I could do with Jorio, that I didn't feel any other draw in any, to any other person at the airport in Terracina, was I could give Jorio a hug because of our connection in Christ. There was a connection there, even though I never met him before, It was an immediate, we are connected because of Jesus Christ. And I'm years removed from that. And if I went back now, of course, his his 10-year-old son or however old um, Jorio Jr. was at at that point, he's now an adult going to medical school. So um, it's it's been a little while. But I know that, that we still have a connection. If I visited today, 
we'd pick up right where we left off because of our connection in Christ. And you've got friends like that. You've got friends that you're connected to because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're blessed like that. So a new identity, a new way of living, and a new connection. And so the question is, are you all in? I was, I've been fascinated by this whole idea of the Supreme Court. And, and uh, I've got my own opinions on it and, and what I think should happen. But as I watch some of the, the testimony and some of the bantering back and forth about different things, uh, the one thing that I thought was interesting is the attacks on Amy Coney Barrett's faith. You know, whether you agree with her doctrinally or not, um, in some sense, is irrelevant. Uh, what I thought was interesting was the idea that, that she could do her job and not allow her faith to affect her job. And it's just the opposite of what Paul calls the Ephesians to and he calls us to. See, our faith ought to affect every single part of our life. We should celebrate that, that she allows her faith to, to affect the way she makes decisions. You may say, well, I don't, I don't want her faith to affect it. Our faith ought to permeate everything. If you can separate, separate out your faith from the way you live the rest of your life, you've missed what it means to be in Christ. So I appreciate that, that she allows her faith to permeate her life. That It's just part of who she is. It's ingrained in her. And so I would ask that you would pray for that whole situation. You know, whether you like her or don't like her, I just pray that, and I would ask you to pray that, that God would have his hand on that situation, as well as the election and all that goes with that. Because faith, for us, should permeate everything. Faith ought to permeate our vote. Faith ought to permeate the way we treat others that disagree with us. Faith ought to change the way we love people, regardless of the yard sign. Our faith ought to permeate and saturate everything about us. So the question for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, what parts of your life are separate? What parts of your life have you not allowed your faith to influence? Because realizing that and understanding that, that this whole new way of life is every part and it's disruptive. But if I'm going to allow Christ to be Lord in my life, then I may have to 180 degree turn in some areas of my life. And so I'm going to ask that some of you that are faced with that situation say, God, I, I want you to permeate everything to come to the altar and pray. Other, others of you may have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. To say, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that apart from the redemptive work of Christ, I am doomed and, and destined for hell. But because of what Jesus did, I want to receive him into my life and trust him. Turn from my sin 
and turn to God. So if you're in that spot this morning, I would invite you to come and, and let's have a conversation about what that means. The other thing I wanted to let you know about is a, that is part of just going through Ephesians, there is a reading plan, and you can see that on the back of your insert this morning. Just a way to stay connected to Paul's letter for the duration of this series. You know, there's, well, when we look at this, and we talked last week about legacy and what we are to be and look like as a church, the, the question comes up as we read this, what happens to the Ephesian church? What are they about? Well, there's a, there's a passage in Revelation chapter 2 that kind of gives us some insight as to how this goes. This is what it says. Revelation 2, starting at verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in, the, in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So far, it's a pretty good report. Now, I've looked at your works. Look at what you do. Your toil, how you patiently endure being in a city that is, that is striving to worship a, a false god. And you've even tested those who call themselves apostles and found, them, found some of them who were not to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So, so far it's a really good report for the Ephesian church, but listen to, to this. But I have this against you. that You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I look at that and I think, what happened to the Ephesian church? Well, they became self-serving maybe. Still serving, but more self-serving. Conformed to the world around them. Maybe they were apathetic. They had all their acts together. They had their air conditioning on and seats were comfortable all the programs in place. But at some point, it became just about coming to church. It became just about fulfilling some tradition. And it never filled their life. It did not permeate and saturate every single part of their existence. Jesus, in Revelation 2, calls them back to their first love. We need to be called back to our first love, to a new way of life. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for who you are, for your grace, your love, for your patience and endurance of us.
And so, Father, as we're in this place, I pray that you would draw us to the foot of your throne. That we would realize where we've not acted as if we are in him. And that you would bring us back to that place of being totally sold out to you. Father, use this time of invitation for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you need to do some business with God this morning, the altar is open. If you would like to accept Christ, I'll be at the front. There are others. And if you'd like to have that conversation now or when church is dismissed, um, I invite you to do that. Would you stand? And as God leads you, you follow him and, and trust him. Oh.